Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life that you'd like prayer for. We'd love to hear from you and pray for you and hopefully answer your questions. Give us a call. The number is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897 for the text line. And we want to welcome those of you who are tuning in today, wherever you're tuning in from. We know so many of you tune in here in Colorado and into southern Wyoming on Grace FM. Welcome to the show. You're listening live. And we also want to welcome those who listen on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, as well as those on Truth FM in Tennessee and into parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. Welcome to you. Just remember, just a reminder for those of you on the East Coast on Hope FM and on Truth FM that you are hearing this program on a one-week delay. So please just keep mind but would love for you to call in and then you'll be able to you have a unique opportunity that you're able to tune in the following week and hear yourself on the radio so just a reminder that you guys are hearing on the one week delay those here on grace fm are hearing it live and we also want to give a big hello to everybody who listens online on the app or on the website we have a great grace fm app really encourage you to go get it if you don't have it yet, you can find it in your app store for your device. Just go into that app store and in the search bar, you just type in Grace FM as one word and you can get that device. Has more than just uh, live listening capabilities too. So you, you can go in there. I believe there's like a Bible reading program and there will be news sometimes about things going on with Grace FM. So definitely a great way to connect and be part of this community that's growing, that God's building of people. Uh, tuning in around this program and around the rest of the programming on Grace FM. So get that app, and um, and we know that so many of you are using this app. Uh, it's every week we look at the map um, of who's tuning in, and we have people all over the United States, and oftentimes um, in different parts of the world, several different continents. You know, we have listeners from Africa and Asia and Europe pretty regularly, as well as sometimes from South America. Today we. I'm looking at the map right now. We have listeners all over Colorado and um, West Coast. We've got some some mid uh, Midwest listeners down in the South and in the East Coast as well. So kind of the whole country. And we're so glad that you're tuning in, however you're doing so. Um, again, this is a show where you can tune in, or sorry, you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life that you'd like to ask questions about or discuss or receive prayer for. We'd love to hear from you and pray for you. The number to call is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Just a few words about myself. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. 
I'm pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. And our church meets right in the heart of the, our heart of the city of Longmont. If you are familiar with Longmont or if you live in any of the surrounding communities, then you'll be familiar with our downtown. We are located just one block west of Main Street on Longs Peak Avenue. And so we are right on the south east edge of Roosevelt Park, the city park here in Longmont. We're just to the direct south of the downtown park and ride. And we're on the northwest corner of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street. And the address is 700 Longs Peak Avenue. And our Sunday services are at 10 a.m. We'd love to have you come and study God's Word with us verse by verse through books of the Bible. Uh, we have a great children's ministry and a really vibrant worship ministry. And we'd love for you to be a part of what God is doing here at Whitefields. So consider yourself invited if you're within driving distance of downtown Longmont. And maybe you don't live in Longmont, but you have friends or family who do live in this area. We'd love it if you would point them to us and send them our way. Our website is whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And that is a place where you can find directions. We actually just updated our website. And you could do us a favor, really, by going to our website and helping us find anything that doesn't work. So we just uh, transferred over everything about two weeks ago to our new site that we've been building for a little while. We have a great company uh, called Crybaby Design here in Longmont that helped us uh, kind of put the final touches on our website. So if you go to our website and you could help us find anything that's like broken links or anything that uh, that would be useful that's not working we'd really appreciate that so the website again is whitefieldschurch.com that's whitefieldschurch.com and go check it out share it with friends love it if you'd share it online and you can also connect with us in so many other ways you know we we have uh, we're trying to build at least uh, a really robust online presence and so you can connect with us on social media. We're on all the major platforms, you know, from, from YouTube, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. You can connect with, uh, with us there. Just type in Whitefields Community Church, and you should find us on all those platforms. We also have a podcast, and that podcast is more than just our Sunday sermons. We also do a weekly recording of about 10 minutes of myself and our worship pastor kind of going a little deeper on one or two issues that we talked about on Sunday. So this, this past week, we just uh, made our, our uh, podcast and our video before uh, the show today, before this show. And I'll, I'll share with you some of the things we were talking about. But it's a lot of the same kind of stuff that we discuss here on Calvary Live, really getting into some questions that people might have about the scriptures, some things that, that might be confusing or unclear, and hopefully bringing clarity to those issues. So we encourage you check that out. And you can always hear me every weekday on Grace FM. We have a show that airs with our sermons from Whitefields Church. It airs at 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time every weekday, so Monday through Friday, Maybe that's a time when a lot of people are picking up kids from school, or maybe you're heading to the school to pick up your kids. We'd love it if you tune into Grace FM at that time and listen to our show. And we're also on on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So if for some reason you're not able to be in church, uh, maybe you're out on the road, definitely tune into Grace FM at that time and you'll hear us then as well. So we have all open lines right now. The number to call is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 
0897. Here at the beginning of the show is usually a great time to call in with your questions about the Bible and your prayer requests, and we'd love to hear from you and pray for you, so definitely give us a call or send us a text. Um, so right now, we're in the season of Advent, Advent being the, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, in which Christians traditionally set aside to focus on the Incarnation, which is that great event in history in which God took on human flesh. He came to us in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. He became one of us in order to die for us so that he could redeem us and give us new life. And so this uh, Advent season, we've been doing an Advent series, which we usually do at our church at Whitefields. And um, this year, all of our titles are taken from, from the great Christmas songs, great Christmas hymns. And so this past Sunday, my sermon was based on this line from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I don't know if you know the tune off the top of your head, but there's there's three lines. This song was written by Charles Wesley, who wrote so many you know great hymns back at this time, but so many of the great Christmas hymns we sing are also written by Charles Wesley. And Wesley wrote this song, and he has these three lines back to back that just like grab me, you know, grab my attention so drastically. So for example, he says, um, he says this line, born that man no more may die. Then he says, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. And so we went with that title, you know, born that man may no, no more may die. And then in Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says this incredible thing. He says, um, you know, Jesus Christ, the grace of God, which has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. And here's what he says, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So he abolished death. Now, what I think is really cool is if you consider where Paul was, the setting in which he wrote that. Second Timothy was written at the end of Paul's life. It's the last letter he ever wrote, and he wrote it from prison. Now, you might be saying, well, didn't Paul write a lot of letters from prison? Well, yes, but this one is different, and here's why. Because Paul's what so-called prison epistles weren't actually written from prison per se. They were really written from what we would call house arrest. He was in a rented house or apartment type thing in Rome, and he was awaiting his appeal where he had appealed to the highest court in the land, which was Caesar himself. And so during that first Roman imprisonment is what it's called, Paul was under house arrest there in Rome. You know, he was chained up. He wasn't free, but it certainly wasn't a prison cell or like a dungeon like you might expect. Um, but that first Roman imprisonment ended with Paul being exonerated and let go. The second Roman imprisonment, 2 Timothy is the only letter that Paul wrote during that second Roman imprisonment. And that Roman imprisonment didn't end with Paul's exoneration. It ended with Paul's execution. And so it's really interesting that he writes this letter and he says in this letter, you know, you can tell, this is no longer a rented apartment in Rome where he's under house arrest. This is a dungeon. He says that he's cold. He asks Timothy to bring him a coat. And he tells Timothy at the very end, he says, do your best to come to me as quickly as you can because my time of departure has come. And he says, I've run the race. I've fought the fight. It's time for me to go from this world and stand before the Lord. And we know that in about 64 AD, that's when the great um, persecution began under Caesar Nero 
against Christians, and Paul was one of the first casualties of that persecution. As a leader of the church, he was rounded up, and we know that he was beheaded during that Roman uh, persecution that began in 64 AD. It's actually believed that like First Peter, the letter, you know, for Peter's first epistle, his general epistle written to Christians in general around the Roman Empire, was actually triggered by Paul's execution. It was written about the same time, and it's interesting that a lot of First, first Peter mirrors the writings of Paul in some of Paul's epistles. And you can see that Peter, you know, in the wake of Paul's death, is responding to that by saying, hey, I need to reach out to Christians around the world, both those who are suffering currently and those who will be suffering in the near future. And I need to remind them of the hope that we have in the gospel. That's what he does. But, you know, considering the fact that Paul is in prison, that he knows he's about to die, it's so profound that Second Timothy begins with this statement that God's grace has been manifest through Christ Jesus, our Savior, who did what? Abolished death. Here's Paul looking death in the face and he says, this is my hope. This is the thing that keeps me like an anchor for my soul, that Christ Jesus has come and he abolished death and he brought immortality to life. And one of my favorite pictures of that, which I talked about this past Sunday, is in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, where Jesus meets this guy named Nathaniel. And I love that name, Nathaniel. It's the name that we gave to one of our children. And um, it's so interesting, you know, Nathaniel, the way that he becomes a disciple of Jesus is that Jesus first calls Nathaniel's friend, his buddy, Philip. And Philip just enthusiastically follows Jesus and then tells Nathaniel, Hey, Nathaniel, you should come follow Jesus too. We found the one of whom Moses in the law and all the prophets talked about, the Messiah. And Nathaniel's like, oh, okay, cool. What's his name? And he says, well, his name's Jesus. And he says, wait a second, Jesus? Jesus of who? And he says, oh, Jesus of, from Nazareth. And he says, hey, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. I, I'm kind of skeptical. I'm not even sure this guy even can be the Messiah being that he's from Nazareth. And so Philip says, just brilliantly, right? Well, why don't you come and see? In other words, he's going to bring him with him to meet Jesus personally. And by the way, that's just a, a, an excellent way to respond to a lot of the questions that we get about Christianity, maybe from an unbelieving uh, coworker or family member or friend who says, well, I don't know, I'm skeptical about this or that. You know, if you don't know the answer to that question, you can pull a Philip on him and just say, hey, come with me. And I will introduce you to the church or come with me. Hey, let's try reading the Bible together. Hey, what if we just try praying together and we'll see the difference that it makes in your life? And so Philip does this for his skeptical friend, Nathaniel. And then as soon as Nathaniel meets Jesus, his opinion of Jesus changes immediately. And the reason is because Jesus says this incredible thing to him, which seems very confusing. And, and what I found through my study was something which I think would probably help a lot of you out there who might have wondered, what's the deal with this encounter that Jesus has with Nathaniel? Why does Nathaniel's opinion change so quickly? So Jesus meets him. He sees him. Um, they, like he sees Nathaniel and Philip coming towards him. And Jesus says, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel is somehow surprised by that. And he says, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And hearing those two statements immediately changes Nathaniel's opinion. All of a sudden he declares, truly you are the son of God. 
and you know truly you are the messiah why doesn't it seem a little bit strange that he would just suddenly see that okay so here's here's what this means and i found this fascinating what was nathaniel doing under the fig tree well we're not totally sure but we can almost be sure of what he was doing see there's a jewish tradition according to some rabbis that jewish people would traditionally in the middle east like they like to read the scriptures underneath the fig trees and the reason they read scripture under fig trees is because there's this belief that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right, which is the tree that Adam and Eve were forbidden to eat from in the Garden of Eden lest they die, and, and they did eat of it. Well, a lot of Jewish people traditionally believe that that was not an apple tree like we depict in, in our Western uh, depictions of it, but actually a fig tree. And the reason they think it was a fig tree is because after Adam and Eve's sin, their eyes are opened to the fact of their nakedness and their shame, and they try to cover themselves with fig leaves. And so traditionally, Jews would read the, the scriptures under a fig tree. Now, that idea of an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Well, who in the Bible was known as an Israelite in whom there was deceit? Well, that would be Jacob, right? His name means deceiver. And we, we can kind of tie that in because then Jesus makes an, an, an allusion later on to the story of Jacob in the same section where he says, you know, you know, Nathaniel's surprised that Jesus saw him reading the scriptures under the fig tree. And we can assume that what Jesus is saying is, I know what you were reading under the fig tree. When you were all by yourself, I know that you were reading the story of Jacob, the deceiver. And then he says, you know, Nathaniel's blown away by this. And then Jesus says, truly, you will see greater things than this. You will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Okay, here's why that's interesting. What is that an allusion to? When in the Bible did we see heaven opened up and uh, angels ascending and descending on something? Well, that would be Jacob's ladder, the vision that Jacob had in Genesis chapter 28 of angels ascending and descending on this ladder. And Jesus is saying, and check this out, Jesus is saying, I am that ladder. I am the bridge between heaven and earth. I have come to bridge the gap between God and man, between uh, mortal life and immortality, um, between this world and heaven. And these, these two connections to Jacob and the fact that Jesus alludes to this story just kind of come together to form this, this incredible picture um, in which Jesus not only knew Nathaniel's heart, he knew what Nathaniel had been doing even when no one else was watching him, right? He knew what Nathaniel was doing in his secret place, so to say. But he also tells Nathaniel, I have come to bridge the gap between heaven and earth. And, um, and I just think it's such a powerful picture, you know, the idea that heaven is open to those who humble themselves before God and put their faith in Jesus is really the, the message of that section. I found it so powerful this weekend as we were studying this section. So let's go to our first caller, Samuel in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Samuel. Welcome to the program. Oh. Hello. What can I do for you, Samuel? Uh, I have a prayer request kind of in two parts and also had a question. I, didn't, I remember, you, I think it was you that had uh, was in missions over... Was it in Hungary or was it in Romania? I was in Hungary, but I was about 30 kilometers from the Romanian border. Did spend a lot of time in Romania, mostly working with Hungarians in Romania, but uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time there. Oh, okay. It's it just uh, over 
Thanksgiving, I uh, uh, met a friend and uh, was uh, invited over to Thanksgiving with them, and they have uh, uh, Romanian heritage on it, and it was I was asking them about that, and it was uh, kind of an interesting thing that they didn't uh, really know much about their culture other than they, you know, know the, their language, their dialect that they speak, and then the food. But uh, the, the prayer request I have is... Uh, her name is Samantha. She's in Houston, and she's been. It seems like everywhere she goes, it seems like there's a bunch of struggles around her. So I don't know exactly what's up with that, but she really needs some protection around her. Yeah. But I also need some discernment for myself because I just met her, and I don't know. It seems like there's times where. There's a sense where there's a genuine love of Jesus in her, but then there's other times I don't know if it's something where it's somebody just trying to take advantage of me. So, okay. yeah, I want to I want to look to the best, but also be protective of myself too. So, kind of, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on the Romanian thing, what I can tell you, you know, of having done work there, and what I would tell our listeners is that God's done a really really powerful work in Romania, particularly um, over the last 20 years, you know, since the end of communism. And, um, well, I guess it's actually been coming up on 30 years now. Wow, time flies, huh? So, yeah, just a really powerful work. I remember there was a time when I was living over in Hungary, and, you know, we would kind of look at Romania as, wow, God is doing a big work over the border, because there was a time when I think the statistic was they were saying about one new church every weekend was being established in Romania. Now, a big reason for that was because there was a huge void during the communist period where big suppression of Christianity, especially of Protestant churches, and um, and there's just been a great revival in, in Hungary and in Ukraine. These are really kind of the, I guess you'd call them the heartland of, you know, Christianity right now in Eastern Europe where there's just a big move of God and revival. So definitely pray for them. I've got some friends who are um, planting churches in Romania uh, through Calvary Chapel. If you ever are interested, Google Calvary Chapel Romania and you'll find out about some of their work. Um, but very good work going on over there. I really encourage people to pray for the country of Romania and what God's doing there. I know that the biggest issue that they faced is um, there's been a lot of people who've come to the Lord, but there have been a kind of gaps in leadership in a lot of parts of the church in Romania. So you can pray specifically for God to raise up leaders, godly leaders who will shepherd according to his heart uh, in that country to shepherd the, the many people who are coming to faith. So let's pray for your friend, Samantha. And if I pray for Samuel and I pray for his friend, Samantha, I pray, Lord, for a lot of discernment for Samuel that he would uh, be able to discern, you know, what's the right way in which uh, to give his heart and yet not uh, do so um, foolishly. Lord, help him to do it wisely in a way that um, will be healthy for him and for uh, Samantha as well. And we pray for Samantha, Lord, that you would guard her against the wiles of the evil one. Lord, thank you that in you she has victory, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that you lead us in victory through uh, what you have done for us and who you are in us. And so, Lord, I pray for Samantha that she would experience that victory, that truly she would embrace the gospel and walk with you by faith. Lord, and that you'd protect her from the evil one. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I appreciate that. You bet. God bless you, Samuel. Thanks for calling uh, me. All right. God bless. All right, bye-bye.
Listening to Calvary Live, this is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call is 303 690 3000. It's 303 690 3000 or text us at 720 336 0897. Let's go to Annette in Baltimore, Maryland. Hi, Annette. Welcome yes. to the program. Hi, uh, my name is Annette. Like I said, I do have a question. Some of the Christians, they do believe that women should preach, other Christians, they don't believe women should preach be preach. So my question is, is it right for a woman to preach or it's wrong? Okay, so very simple answer on this one. Uh, women should absolutely preach the gospel, as should children, everybody. every Everyone should preach the gospel. Um, that question, you know, has been very clearly stated in the Bible. You could take the fact that the very first people to declare that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. You could think if you're God and you're in control of everything, you can control who does what and who are the first people to see you raised from the dead. And Jesus sends these women, he says, he sends them to go and tell other people that he has resurrected from the grave. So should women preach the gospel? Absolutely. Um, and we encourage them to do that. So we, we want to encourage everybody to preach the gospel, but we also have a biblical precedent for it. We see that, you know, uh, people, there were, in Romans 15, Paul lists a whole list of women who, um, well, he lists a whole list of people, but what's interesting is the sheer number of women who are in the list, I'm sorry, that's Romans 16, um, who are in this list of people who he sends greetings to, who whom he calls his fellow workers and servants in the church. And so um, I think it's it's very clear that women should be preaching the gospel. Now, if you're getting into another question, which is one of church governance, now that might be a little bit of a different uh, discussion, in which case uh, there'd be a different question. But Annette, uh, should women preach the gospel? Can they preach the gospel? Yes, they can, and they absolutely should. Thank you so much. I, yeah, okay. uh, another thing, it's just, uh, it's just a, re a request, and uh, I am very, very worried of young people for nowadays. We, uh, they do have a lot of distractions from uh, the, the world influence, so I am, uh, I, I was hoping if you can pray for, I mean, if you can pray, pray for each and every young people out there so that uh, things are going on in their lives. They are doing stuff that is making me so worried. So if you can pray for them, please. Uh, yeah, for sure. I'm worried about them. Thank yeah, you. Awesome. Heavenly Father, I, I join with Annette in saying, Lord, we care about this up-and-coming generation. And we don't want them. We don't want to see them go astray. Lord, we don't want to see them get involved with things that are going to uh, twist and distort and hurt their lives. Rather, we, see, we desire to see them walk in truth. It just says, John said in his epistle, he said, there's nothing that brings me greater joy than seeing my children walking in truth. And Lord, we desire that uh, for this up and coming generation. We're so excited about so many things about this generation. We see that they, they want to be heroic. They want to do great things. They don't want to live shallow, trivial lives. And Lord, we pray that in that pursuit uh, of substance, Lord, that they would turn to you and find the truest substance. Everything else is just a shadow, Lord, but you are the substance. And I pray that you would take hold of many hearts, Lord, that you'd open many eyes, that you'd 
bring people to yourself and lead them in your ways. Lord, I pray that there would be shepherds raised up who would, who would lead your people, and especially these young people, in your ways. Help them to see the gospel and understand it in, in a way that is compelling to them. Lord, we need these leaders, and we ask that you would uh, send those workers into your harvest field, specifically those of the young people in our communities, and Lord, that they, they would respond, they would understand the gospel, and that they would follow you. And, uh, and Lord, really raise up a generation of people who will follow after you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, Thank Annette. You. Uh, thanks, Annette. God bless you. Hey, you're listening Bye. to Calvary Bye. Live. We will be back in two minutes' time. We're going to our mid-show break. Give us a call, 303-690-3000, or text us, 720-336-0897. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air today. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or things going on in your life that you'd like prayer for. We'd love to pray for you and talk with you, and we'd love to answer your questions if we can. So give us a call. The number is 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. We have all open lines right now. It's a great time to call in with your prayer request or with your Bible question. We can get you right on the air. The number again, 303-690-3000. In the meantime, let's go over to our text line and see some of the texts that have come in. One person asks, when does the new covenant begin? Was it during Jesus' time on earth or after his death and resurrection? So I would say it is after his death and resurrection that the new covenant begins. I mean, Jesus established a new covenant but he made clear in his prayer, right? Well, it's not really his prayer. is his, his institution of the Lord's Supper, you might call it, um, that he said, you know, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. Now, the blood had not yet been shed, right? So the blood was to be shed. And by the way, that, that was how a contract was made, was by the shedding of blood. Um, we can see an example of that in Genesis chapter 15 where God enters into a covenant with Abraham, and that covenant is solidified or signed or ratified or whatever you might say there um, through the shedding of blood. And that was a kind of traditional way that sacrifices were made. And in the case of Abraham, the way it was done was that they took several animals and they cut those animals in half and they let their blood kind of flow in between the two halves. And then the two parties would meet in the middle and shake hands is what we do nowadays, but they would meet in the middle and that would be the solidifying of the covenant. And it essentially communicated something along the lines of, if I break my promise, then let this same thing be done to me. Now, maybe an even better example of a covenant ceremony is found in Exodus, which is where we get the law of Moses, which is a really big deal. So in Exodus chapter 19, it begins... And then it goes into chapter 20. So here's what happens. Um, Moses comes down from the mountain. 
he's got the law of God with him. And they're going to, um, you know, they're going to say, hey, do, do you want to enter into this covenant with God? And all the people answer. So I'll start in verse 7 of chapter 19. This is Exodus. Moses came and called the elders of the people and sat before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered and said together, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe forever. So what happens is there, there's this covenant ceremony. But here's what happens. It says anybody who does these things, here's what will happen. They will die. If you don't keep the, this covenant, then they will die. And God says, well, before you enter into this covenant, I want this whole thing read out loud to all the people in the community because I want them to know what they're signing up for. And so f that's what happens. In Exodus 20, we have the Ten Commandments. Then in Exodus 21 and 22, we have many of the other laws which are associated with the law of Moses. Um, getting into... Um, some further chapter, yes, yeah, th all the way through chapter 23. But then in chapter 24, what happens is the way they solidify the, um, the, the covenant is that they take the blood of an animal. They slay an animal and they take the blood of an animal. And it says that the people shouted in one voice, all the words of the Lord, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do them. And Moses wrote them all down. And then it says that they sprinkled the blood of the people on them. It says, this is verse 8 of chapter 24. Moses took the blood, threw it on the people, and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So then we get Jesus, right? And he's establishing a new covenant. And the signing, the official entering of the covenant is done through blood once again. This is a theme throughout the scripture, but it's a theme which comes from ancient cultures. And so there's this solidifying of the covenant through the blood of Jesus. Um, and then I would say through his resurrection, here's why that's important is because in the Gospel of John chapter 20, after Jesus rises from the dead, he meets with his disciples. And it says that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now the reason that's important is because earlier in the Gospel of John, in John chapters 14 and 16, Jesus talked about how he was going to w go away, but he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And he used this interesting phrase. He says, the Spirit whom you know, because he is already with you. So that's one relationship, right? The Holy Spirit is with you. And he says, here's what the Holy Spirit does with you. He brings about conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So that sin is bad and that we're sinners that righteousness, that God is righteous and we have fallen short, and of judgment. Therefore, because we've fallen short, we deserve judgment. So what, what we call that altogether is conviction. Conviction that we are sinners and that we need a Savior. That's what the Holy Spirit does with us. But then there's another relationship, and that is the relationship of the Holy Spirit in us. And there in John 14 and 16, Jesus says, You know the Spirit, He is with you, but He will also be in you. Now, when does that happen? He says, shortly he will be in you. So then Jesus dies, resurrects, and in John chapter 20, he says, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. What is happening in that moment, I believe, 
I think the scriptures say this clearly, especially when you compare with like Ephesians and 1 Corinthians that talk about how when you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into you as a seal, as a receipt that you belong to God, but also to do the work of the Spirit inside of you. So all that amounts to this. This is why I believe that the covenant, the new covenant began after Jesus' resurrection because that's the point where he breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit, not just with them to bring conviction and not just upon them to give ability, but actually inside of them to be the indwelling of God within them, the seal of the covenant promise. So I hope that answers your question there and a good one. Thank you for that and God bless you. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. Give us a call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us, 720-336-0897. Let's go to Joe in Baltimore, Maryland. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the program. Hey, Merry Christmas. <coughs> Merry Christmas. Hey, hey, when Jesus, when the Christ child was born, right, was it... Uh, how did they build fires in those days? The Bible doesn't say, or how did they keep warm and all? How did they keep warm? Yeah, they, they yeah. would have built fires. And oh, you so, built fires? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. How did you start a fire in that days? Well, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm sure they used flint, but I mean, several places throughout the Bible, we see yeah. examples of people warming themselves by fires. We can be quite sure that they would have done that. Yeah, I was wondering... We can also be pretty sure that it was cold. Um, and yet, most people would agree that Jesus was probably not born in December. Oh, I know that. He was probably born in like September-ish. Uh, and we can know that because we know the shepherds were out in the fields uh, watching their flocks. And so we know that it wasn't yet too cold for the shepherds to be uh, needing to not be out in the fields, which, which does happen in that part of the world even uh, in December. I, 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 um, Ed Taylor, he, um, is, you heard of him, right, Ed Taylor? Yep, I know him. Yeah. Well, uh, John MacArthur, have you ever heard of him, Grace, to sure. you? Sure. And John MacArthur, he said that, uh, people, that, uh, language, uh, they're, they're, is talking in tongues. He said it's barbaric. Mm. He can prove it. Yeah, actually, I've done quite a bit of study on not only this topic, but on John MacArthur's um, opinion on this topic. And I, I wrote some papers on this for seminary. So John MacArthur holds a position which is called cessationism. And yeah. um, cessationism basically says this, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and not, not all the gifts, but what is called the sign gifts, and that includes speaking in tongues, prophecy and uh -huh. healing so three well, it's a language areas. he said to you people away people start talking that they don't know what you're talking you're scaring them away and, and uh david jeremiah said it's gibberish mm. and he can prove it that's interesting mm -hmm. yeah and i uh so i like i said i've done a lot of study on this topic so the two positions are basically called the cessationism which means ceasing of the sign gifts and continuationism which means that the gifts continue now, there's several ways to look at this. The question is, why would someone believe that the gifts have ceased or stopped? Now, there's one verse in the Bible that a lot of these people point to, 
and that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which says that when the perfect comes, then there will be no need for the imperfect. And there it says that tongues will cease, prophecies will cease, but love will remain. And so the big question is, what is the perfect to which they're referring? Now, some of these uh, people would say, well, the perfect is referring to the canon of Scripture being completed, which happened toward the end of the apostolic period. The problem is that that's not actually what the text is saying when it talks about the perfect. The, when it's talking about the perfect, it's talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, when we see Jesus face to face, then we won't need these spiritual gifts that we use to uh, communicate his word into the world or to communicate with him directly in the case of speaking in tongues. And so that is what's being talked about. And what's interesting about John MacArthur is that John MacArthur actually acknowledges that that verse in 1 Corinthians 13 is not referring to the completion of the canon of Scripture. And so John MacArthur's basic argument about why he doesn't think that the sign gifts continue on into this present day is simply, now check this out, it's not even a biblical argument. He just says, because those things just seem weird and he doesn't think that they exist anymore. And I would say, I'm sorry, but that's not even a... a that's not even a biblical argument whatsoever. And so if we want to build our theology on the Bible and not just on anecdotal experiences, like you're saying people claiming that things are gibberish or nonsense, again, I could say that a lot of things are, are nonsense. Just because I say it's nonsense doesn't make it unbiblical or doesn't even make it nonsense. right? So that's, I, I would just come back and say that that's not a good argument. Furthermore, I, I've done a little bit further deep study in in seminary on um, what's called glossolalia, which is the speaking in tongues, the gift of tongues, but furthermore on what's called theological method. And what I would say about John MacArthur's opinion there on cessationism, and, and I would say he's actually one of the guys that I give credit to the most because he acknowledges that 1 Corinthians 13 is not referring to the completion of the canon of Scripture, but to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so I give him a lot of credit in that sense. I would just say, if I could talk to John directly, I would say, John, you're not being consistent in your application of how you do your theology. Because on the one hand, like when it comes to salvation, you take your theology completely from Scripture. You can say that God chooses us. God uh, you know, sanctifies us. God justifies us. No matter how we feel, we are justified in Christ if we have put our faith in him. So apart from experience and feelings, and yet on this other topic, he takes a completely different approach to theology, which is inconsistent. And, uh, and I would say just saying that something is gibberish, does not, that's not even a biblical argument. So uh, I appreciate your questions, Joe. Thank you for calling in and thanks for listening. God bless you. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call, 303-690-3000, or text us, 720-336-0897. Let's go to Al in Longmont, Colorado. Hi, Al. Welcome to the program. Hi. Thank you, um, Pastor. I have a question. In uh, Kings and Chronicles, several, several places in Scripture, it references asterisks, poles, and ball as well, quote, detestable idols, etc. But why is it capitalized in Scripture? 
Um, simply only because these are proper nouns, meaning that Ashtaroth and Baal were the uh, names, the proper names that they were used oh. for, the, that were used for these gods. It isn't oh, to okay. somehow say that they are legitimate gods, but that right. they were the proper names of the gods who were worshipped. Simple question, great answer. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate God bless it. you, Al. God bless love, you. Love hearing people from Longmont call in, so that's awesome. God bless you. Yeah. God bless you, too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. So just a, a few further thoughts on Al's question before we go back to our text line. Um, Ashtaroth and Baals. I, I had the opportunity to go to Israel this year and take a group from our church. We're, we're already planning our next trip. Uh, it was such an impactful experience for me and for, for many of the other people. We went together with a team from Calvary Chapel in Brighton, which was tons of fun to go with those guys and get to know them and partner up with Pastor Paul. But uh, one of the things we did is we went up to this area called Tel Dan, which Tel in, uh, you know, like when you Tel Aviv, Tel Dan, that means a mound, like an archaeological mound. And so Tel Dan is the ancient city of Dan which is in the far north of Israel. You're just a few uh, kilometers away from the Lebanese border. And there in that place, there's an old altar, which you can visit to Baal. And you can see how they did their sacrifices. And you can see why it was so detestable to the Lord, um, because they would make human sacrifices, blood sacrifices of human beings, etc. And, and so um, what you saw there is, how they would do their sacrifices and and you would also see these high places they've all been torn down at this point but you can see in the hills around there in the bible in kings and chronicles it would talk about the ashtaroth poles and the altars to baal which were uh, used up in those areas and so um yeah ashtaroth was the name of the female deity that was worshipped in um, canaanite culture and um let me see, I'm just looking at a few things about Baal. You know, the thing about Baal was that Baal was a god of power. And so those who wanted power would often do that. And I believe that Ashtaroth was um, considered, yeah, this is right, a consort. So kind of the partner, kind of the, the female counterpart to Baal. And she was worshipped as the you know, goddess of love and war. What I think is so interesting about these ancient gods, and I think this gets to Al's question, is you know, were these really gods or, or are they nothing at all? Well, I would say, in a sense, right, they're, they're not gods. And yet there is a, dem we would agree that there's a demonic entity that they represent. This is something that Paul the Apostle says in um, his writings in First Corinthians and in Romans particularly, where he talks about meat sacrifice to idols. And some people would say, hey, these idols are there's no power to them. Other people would say, hey, no, these, these represent demons. And Paul says, no, you're both right. You know, that these do represent demonic entities. And yet, they are not gods, truly, right? They, they are things that people worship other than God. And I think what's interesting, though, about idols is, you know, what Martin Luther pointed out is that all these things that people worshipped back in ancient times, they all correspond to things that people worship today. We just don't use um, statues and, and things in the same way that they did. But yet we worship the same things. You know, Baal was the god of power. Do people worship power? Yeah, totally. Do people worship um, sensuality and lustful things? Of course. Do people worship even to the point of fertility, family, you know, um, 
having fertile ground and crops and things like that. Do people worship success and family and fertility? Of course they do. So as human beings, we haven't changed. We've just stopped building statues to these things. Or maybe we build material things to worship in different ways. Human nature itself hasn't evolved over the past 3,000 years. What we still desperately need to follow the admonition that's given us in the New Testament when in John, you know, first John, where he says, my, my children abstain from idols. We still need to do that. That's still really important. Our hearts are still, as Martin Luther said, idol factories that will make an idol out of even the best things. So great question, Al. Thanks for calling in. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life that you'd like to pray, uh, you'd like to receive prayer for, or you'd like to talk about. We'd love to pray for you and talk to you. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us, 720-336-0897. Let's go back to our text line. One person texts in and says, Hi, Pastor Nick. I think King of Kings by Hillsong United is such a beautiful song. Is Hillsong United appropriate to listen to as I have heard a lot of negative things about them? So here's my take on this. I think this is true when it comes to Hillsong, maybe when it comes to Bethel, maybe to a lesser degree. But I would say, take, uh, take if you can take the song as it is, and you can choose by listening to the words of that song, whether or not this is something which is going to um, you know, represent God well and really honor God. And if so, then I think that it's... Uh, of course, it's a great thing to do. Listen to this song. You know, if we were to consider the faults of all the people who've ever written songs that we sing in our churches, we'd be left with like five songs to sing because uh, human beings sometimes do faulty things. Sometimes they have weird ideas. But um, by God's grace, God has used some faulty people. And by God's grace, God uses us who are faulty people, right? And so I would say take the song on its own account and... Um, yeah, I think you're probably just fine listening to Hillsong United. When it comes to Bethel, I think there's a little bit of a different agenda that Bethel as a church has. They they have stated that they want to influence Christianity a, around the United States and around the world through their music. So I I also would we we do sing some songs by Bethel in our church, but yet we're pretty careful with them. We definitely take a little bit more pause with the Bethel songs than we do with uh, Hillsong songs, for example. Uh, just because we know their agenda and we know that some of their theology can be uh, things that we don't always agree with. Um, it's never really big things, by the way. A lot of times it's really subtle, but yet important. And I think that that's key to say. The subtle differences can be important. And so we want to be discerning. And yet we want to remember that the body of Christ is is much bigger than just our own local churches or groups of churches. And so we want to receive things from other parts of the body of Christ. And yet, as we do that, right, we don't do it just um, throwing caution to the wind, right? Like we do it with some wisdom and discernment. But I think if you're blessed by that song, then uh, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad that God would use that song in your life to encourage you. So God bless you in that. Listen to Calvary Live. Give us a call, 303-690-3000. We've got seven minutes left in the show. We'd love to hear from you and pray for you. So give us a call, 303-690-3000. In the meantime, we're going to go and deal with... Uh, We've got many text messages, so let's go ahead and look at some of these. Someone asks, 
named Ty. It says, uh, do demonic spirits exist? Uh, yes, they do. That's quite clear in the scriptures. And so the next question is, if they do, can the same spirit move from one person to another? I mean, in theory, a spirit could, but I think there are a lot of caveats to this. So let's continue reading your question. The reason I'm asking is because over a year ago, my niece committed suicide. I'm really sorry to hear that, first of all. My, my granddaughter was with her at the hospital when she died. Now my granddaughter has been having these suicidal tendencies and cannot get them out of her mind. Please, please pray for her. She is 15 and in desperate need of prayer. Yeah, we're going to absolutely pray for your um, granddaughter right now. But let me say this, that um, I think there are a lot of factors in suicide. You know, some can get to issues of mental illness. I think that some can get to issues of demonic, um, I'm not going to say um, occupation, but I, I might say uh, demon, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of like harassment by demons, right? So demons bothering you, even if they're not uh, living in you or indwelling you. Um, I think that with your granddaughter, though, I, I would encourage you to to pray for her. I would encourage you also to to really share the gospel with her. I mean, what she needs is, first of all, she needs hope. Um, she needs hope because really, when it comes to suicide, the big factor, whether it's whether it's the enemy convincing us of this or or it's just us coming to this conclusion because of other reasons, you know, that could be, that could be mental issues, it could be uh, physical issues, but it gets down to the issue of hopelessness, right? The reason you would want to commit suicide is because there, there's this sense in which things are bad and they're never going to get better and it would just be better if I wasn't here. And that is a lie. Uh, that is a demonically influenced lie from hell because we know that the message of the gospel is that the best is yet to come in Christ, that there is hope, and we need that hope. We desperately need that hope. And I would just encourage you, share that hope with your granddaughter. Help her see that she is loved. Let God love her through you. And um, and definitely, let's pray for her. That That's scary. I, I just talked to someone else today who was um, really struggling with a family member having suicidal thoughts and tendencies. And um, you know, from a from a parent and grandparent or even just a, a loved one or friend perspective, it's so sad because you know how much you value that person and it just breaks your heart that that person doesn't see how valued and loved they are by others. So let's pray for her. And if I pray for Ty's granddaughter, um, Lord, just our hearts break with the fact that somebody would be for whatever reason, influenced to think that their life is not valuable, that their life is hopeless, that they aren't loved, or that they they would just have for any reason, whether demonic or physical or mental, Lord, this, this desire to harm themselves. Lord, we pray that if there is any demonic activity here, Lord, we pray that you would cast that out. Lord, we pray that you would protect her, surround her with your presence. Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would bring to her not only conviction of sin, but conviction of hope, through the gospel and Jesus. Lord, we pray that she would hear the gospel, that she'd believe it, and that she would understand. As the as that song says, O Holy Night, it says that line, that the soul felt its worth. Lord, I pray that she would feel the worth of her soul as she hears how much you love her and that you've shown that and proved it, not only by caring for her every day of her life, but by giving Jesus, your son, to save her, his life for hers. Lord, I pray that she would know 
that she's loved, that she's valuable, and Lord, that you would save her life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Ty, and we just pray that God would give you so much strength and wisdom as you minister to your granddaughter. Thanks for texting in. We've come to two minutes left on the show. Let's go to one more uh, person who called in or texted in with a prayer request. Uh, Sue and Steve are asking for healing and grace in their relationship. So, Heavenly Father, we pray for Sue and we pray for Steve. Thank you, Lord, for the relationship that they have together. And thank you that they are seeking you for healing and grace. And Lord, we know that we can come to you in every time of need. You are a very present help in time of need. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers and you are a God who is ready to give grace more abundantly than we can even ask or imagine. So Lord, I pray that you would do that. I pray that Sue and Steve, as they seek you, Lord, you give them strength and diligence to pursue you, but you would just pour out grace upon them. I thank you, Lord, for the good news of the gospel, which is the good news, the message of your grace. Lord, I pray that it would fill their hearts with hope and joy and purpose and that they would pursue you. And as they pursue you, they would get closer together. Their relationship would be like a a rope made of three strands, the two of them and you bound together in love and faith. And so, Lord, we bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've got one more text question. Um, someone's asking about Pharaoh's free will in Exodus. Yeah, um, I think I don't have time to answer this one today. We'll definitely get to it in the future. I'll tell you this. Look at Exodus. You'll see that not only did God harden Pharaoh's heart, but Pharaoh hardened his own heart. There's somewhere in the mix of our choices and God's sovereignty where that comes together. You've been listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church. God bless you. And check us out online, whitefieldschurch.com. I'll be with you again next week. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.